for the next several weeks, for the next few weeks, um, is to kind of uh, is to to take a journey. All right, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we often find, and one of the things that uh, we experience sometimes, and we can get so caught up in the affairs and everything of the world that we live in today that sometimes we kind of just we lose sight of some things um and i know probably many of you have uh studied you've been through kind of the book of acts but i want to i want to kind of take you on a journey that's a little bit different uh, tonight uh and matter of fact i would encourage you you may want to take some notes um as we go through some of this material uh, because I'm going to start all of this with a simple question tonight and how did we get to where we are today as far as the local church is concerned um, how did we get to the point and you know one of the questions that comes out how many you know how come there's so many flavors why are there so many uh, different um, thoughts when it comes to church how did we get how did we get to that point? And so as we consider the book of Acts, um, one of the things that I think sometimes, um, and, and if you can imagine with me for just a few moments the difficulty that Peter and them must have had. I mean, we, we, loo- we leave a scene uh, in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and I, I, I want you to understand this. We're only a few days removed from the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension, okay? And matter of fact, from the ascension to the day of Pentecost is only 10 days, right? And so when you consider that time span, we're not talking here about months or years. We're talking a few days from the time that Jesus was crucified to the time of his resurrection until the time of his ascension in Acts chapter number uh, 1. We come to Acts chapter number 2, and boom, we're at the day of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, and that's where we find ourselves. So, so what in the world transpired and what all took place? Keep in mind that you have Peter, and you have the disciples that have gathered together in the upper room. One of the other things that's going on in Jerusalem right now, there are more people in the city of Jerusalem in the, the, than there is any other time of the year. Uh, they have made their way there. Many of them were there during Passover. Many of them were there during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Many are there for the Feast of Weeks uh, that, that comes. Uh, this was not something new in Acts chapter number 2. Okay, It was not some new occurrence that took place. They were all familiar with exactly the time frame and the timing of all of that. And, and the Feast of Weeks and all of those things that were going to take place. Jesus gave very specific instructions. You know, sometimes I wonder if we have not missed out on those instructions because in order for the church, in order for Peter and the disciples and all of that group of a hundred plus that was gathered in that upper room in Jerusalem, in order for them to, to accomplish what they were called to do, there was an ingredient that had to be in place and without that ingredient in place it was not going to happen they were not going to be able to accomplish the task 
that God intended and the purpose that God intended to take place after the ascension. And that is, of course, the beginning of the early church. So what was this that took place? Well, they all met together in the upper room and they prayed. And that's, that's what they did for a period of time until such time that the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter number 2. So here they are, they're praying. You know, the big question, the, the big theological debate today is, did the disciples and all of those hundred plus that were gathered in the upper room, did they know exactly what it was that they were waiting on? And the answer to that question is, they did not. They did not fully understand what it was that they were waiting on. The only thing that they knew is what Jesus had told them as you're to stay and you're to wait until the promise of the Father is come. And so the promise of the Father was something that we know about from the book of John. One of the things that Jesus told the disciples in the upper room uh, as they gathered together for the last final Passover meal before Jesus was crucified. And he told them, he said, the comforter is going to come. He said, but I must go away first and the comforter cannot come until first of all I go away then the father will send the comforter in my name and it is going to be this comforter that is going to take care of everything that you need a new word is coming on the scene I want you to also keep in mind tonight when you go to the book of Matthew the Greek word ekklesia is only used one time in all of the gospels and it is only used in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus and Peter were having a conversation. And Jesus looked at Peter, and here's what he said. He said, and upon this rock I will build my ecclesia, or my church. And so when you think of that Greek word ecclesia, it means gathering or assembly. That's what it actually means. When you come to the book of Acts, you find the beginning days of the early church. I will tell you, the beginning days of the early church absolutely looked nothing like what you see today. It is totally different. So you have a progression of the early church over the years. But I will say this about the church today. The same ingredients that were necessary for the early church in its beginnings in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter number 2 when the Holy Spirit came, in Acts chapter number 2, the same ingredients that were necessary for the beginning days of the early church is absolutely the same ingredients that are necessary today for the church to continue on and do what God intends for the church to do. And if you try to do it apart from any of that, it is absolutely, you're, you're dealing with nothing more than in the eyes of us. How do we measure... How do we measure the health of the local church today? Well, I will tell you, we go through a process every year. It's called the ACP. And the ACP, which is the annual church profile. And so here's what we do. They collect all of these numbers on the annual church profile. What kind of numbers do they collect? Well, they collect numbers such as what is your total membership? Okay. That's always a big number. Okay. I mean, I can tell you, there are, there are some of your larger churches. I won't call them by name. On the annual church profile, they'll have numbers anywhere from 18,000 to 32,000 people in that column. Okay? 
And then they come down and ask you another question. So what is your active membership? So in other words, I've got 18 to 20,000 over here in this column of my annual membership. But when I look over here at the active membership, that number is going to be somewhere around a couple of thousand. Okay? So what happened to all of those other 16,000? Okay? Well, there's various reasons for all of those. And the reason that they're not there active in that particular church. But I'll tell you what we do. When we look at the annual church profile, one of the other things that they ask for is the number of people who attend small group Bible studies on Sunday mornings or at other times. They've modified that. Now they've changed that. It used to be this way. You had Sunday school. And you had all of these age groups that were brought out because Sunday school used to be a graded and age-grouped Sunday school. And everyone attended Sunday school based upon age or something such as grade, okay, uh, for your lower uh, age Sunday school. And so all of those numbers are on there, okay? And then they ask you such things as, well, how many missionaries do you support? outside of the IMB is there any missions partnerships or any mission activity there was another thing that used to be on there that is no longer on the ACP you want to know what it was how many of y'all remember the good old days of training union huh one of the things that we used to do in training union well I'll tell you what let's go let's let's rewind back a little bit let's go back to Sunday school you know one of the things that we used to do in Sunday school we used to have these little envelopes and on that front end of that envelope, we used to go every Sunday, we used to mark on that envelope. How many of y'all remember what we used to mark on the envelope? Okay. Yeah, we used to mark those envelopes. Read my Bible, invited someone to church, brought a visitor, have my offering. You know, all of those things were listed on that yellow envelope. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you've seen one of those yellow envelopes? It's been a while, hasn't it? Okay. So, so, what, so what is what happened? The other one was training union. We used to come to training union, okay? I'll tell you what, let me, let me dial back a little bit further. How many of y'all remember that if you had perfect attendance in Sunday school, each quarter you got a what? You got a Sunday school pin, okay? How many of y'all remember the Sunday school pins, okay? Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all got some of those Sunday school pins? Now, here comes the next question. When's the last time you heard about those Sunday school pins? Tonight. <laughs> it's been a long time, hasn't it? So the church has moved. The church has, has gone through a process. Well, I will tell you this tonight. The church tonight looks nothing like it did in the beginning of the book of Acts. But I will say this to you. Whether you have Sunday school pens or not, whether you have offering envelopes or not, whether you have age-graded Sunday school or not, all of these things that we put together to try to determine whether or not a church is successful. What is success to God? What's important to Him? So when we consider... Ecclesia. When we consider the gathering, what ingredient is necessary 
And I said this at the beginning, I believe it is the same one that was necessary for them. Jesus told them, you're not to start anything, nothing, until the Comforter comes. And I will just say this tonight, for us to meet together, to do church, to worship together, regardless of how it is formulated, to attempt to do it outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, we're on the wrong path. Where does the power come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. Take your Bibles and turn with me to, uh, to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter number 3. The day of Pentecost came. Peter and the disciples, when they stood to preach... Matter of fact, they were accused of being drunk because of what was taking place. There were more people in Jerusalem. And so we come to chapter number 3, and at the end of chapter 2, you have this in-gathering. And you see as the church begins to come together in verse 38 of chapter 2, I want you to notice, And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the, give, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there it is right there. You ought to underline that. You ought to highlight it. You ought to put it in parentheses. You ought to put stars around it and all of that. Okay? And you'll receive the what? The Holy Spirit. So now we... Fast forward over to chapter number 3. It's the time of the day. It's the ninth hour, and which is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And Peter and John were going to go up to the temple. And let me tell you what they were going up to the temple for. They were going up to the temple to pray because it was the time of prayer. And also witness. And so that's why they were going to go to the temple. Can you imagine all the people that are in Jerusalem? Can you imagine all the people that will be at the temple? And Peter and John have a message now. And under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God and under the power of the Holy Spirit of God, they now have a witness to carry with them to the temple at the time of prayer so they're making their way to the temple and as they get close in verse number two and there's a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along whom they used to sit down every day at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple and when he saw peter and john about to go into the temple he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, so they look at this lame man and they say to him, to look at us, look here at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, 
but what I do have I give to you. Let me let me just kind of share something with you right here. This is kind of reminiscent of the earthly ministry days of Jesus when Jesus would heal individuals. But the primary difference here is the way it is done. Matter of fact, Jesus just would look at the the lame or the blind man and he'd said, just get up, pick up your bed and walk. But I want you to notice what Peter and John tell this man now in verse number 6. They said, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Guess what they tell him to do? To walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright, and he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, let me tell you something. A miracle took place right there at the temple. Not long ago, not many hours ago, something transpired in the streets of Jerusalem when Peter stood to preach. Every man heard what Peter said in his own language. Of all of those, we're given the account of that in Acts chapter number 2. They all heard in their own language. And let me say this to you. It was not an unknown language. The Greek word there is glossa, and here's what it means. It is a known language. In other words, all of those different groups with all of their different languages and dialects heard the message of Peter in their own language, so they knew exactly what it was that Peter had said. So they had witnessed that in Acts chapter number 2. You come now to Acts chapter number 3, and now right outside of the temple steps, this man has been healed by these two individuals. Now, what do you think it's going to do to the crowd that's there? Huh? Well, let me ask you a question. And I will tell you, here's, here's the burden on my heart today, okay? The burden on my heart today is... is, is it's what power do we see in the church today? What power do we see in the church today? Does the church have influence? Does, does the church make a difference? Do, do we honestly believe in our hearts in the power of the Holy Spirit of God, the same Holy Spirit that worked in Peter and the disciples when they stood and preached, the same Holy Spirit who worked in Peter and John when they raised up that man and told him to walk. What I'm talking about here is they were making a difference where they were. What was taking place was a manifestation of the power of God. And I've had people tell me today, well, you know, that went out with the days of the early church. Hogwash. I don't believe it. The power of God to change and transform lives. Let me ask you a question tonight. Do you believe that the power of the Holy Spirit, just as it was exercised in chapter 3 of the book of Acts, 
the power that comes through the Holy Spirit. Do we honestly believe today that the power or the Holy Spirit has the power to bring about transformation in the hearts and lives of individuals? If we don't, then we might as well go home. The Holy Spirit is still at work. What do we do with the Holy Spirit? Well, guess what happens? Verse 9. So all of the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What in the world happened? Yeah, this was the same guy for all of these years who was begging outside of the beautiful gate of the temple, and now he's up walking? Look at verse 11. So while he was cleaned, Peter and John, I would imagine that he didn't want to let him go. All of the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people. He said, men of Israel. Now let me tell you what, he's talking to the Jews here. He said, why are you amazed at this? Why does this amaze you? Or why do you gaze at us? As if by our own power or piety we had made him walk. In other words, that it was under our power that he's walking. Look at verse 13. Remember, when we were doing our study through prophecy, and we went back and we talked about three individuals who are referred to as the patriarchs. Guess who Peter takes them back to? Who does he take them back to? He takes them back to the patriarchs. And notice what he says in verse 13. He says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead. And notice the end of verse 15. You ought to underline this, highlight it, put parentheses around it, okay, and mark it over and over again. Notice what it says. A fact to which we are witnesses. This is not something that we're just... A story that's been made up it's a fact to which we're witnesses of and on the basis of faith in his name it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all in other words here's what Peter and John said the reason he is walking has absolutely nothing to do with us it has absolutely everything to do with the power of God himself now, I don't know about you, but I just absolutely believe in the power of God and the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 17, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, 
just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus to Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. In other words, let me tell you what he does. And here's what Peter and John now have told them. Remember all of those things that the prophets said. All the way back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the patriarchs. Everything that had been spoken of and everything that you have heard from the prophets, you discarded. You just discarded. So what happens? Well, it's not over. It has caused a stir in Jerusalem. I want to ask you a question. When's the last time the church has caused a stir in the community? Huh? Chapter 4. You didn't know we are going all the way through the book of Acts tonight, did you? No, I'm just joking. <clears throat> Chapter 4. So as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up. You should have known the religious elite would be hanging out around there somewhere. Well, guess where they were? They were at the temple. And so I'm sure that the word traveled quickly inside through the temple guard, through the Sadducees, and made its way back to the Pharisees. And so therefore, guess what? And the priest himself. Verse 2. Being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. I don't know why the Sadducees were so upset about it. Anyway, okay? You know, they're sad, you see. you know the pharisees are fair you see but let me tell you a little bit about the sadducees the sadducees didn't even believe in the resurrection so what are they so concerned about here well they're concerned because they're teaching the people in proclaiming in jesus the resurrection from the dead now look at verse number three and they laid hands on them and they put them in jail until the next day for it was already evening but many of those who had heard the message believed. The reason they put him in jail, okay, because it was the evening time, there was nothing could be done legally or against them or from within inside of the Sanhedrin and all because it was already past the time. So they couldn't deal with it until till the next day. And so that's why they put him in there until the next day. But verse 4, but many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. That's quite a number, isn't it? That's quite a number. And let me say this. It wasn't because of who Peter and John were. They witnessed and saw the very power of God. 
and they heard the gospel. Well, look at verse number 5. On the next day, their rulers and the elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. Uh, they get them all together. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Verse 8. Then Peter said to them, Peter said to them, What was it that Peter said to them? Rulers and elders of the people. Did Peter just voice that from himself? He was, there, he was what? Let's go back and look at that verse again, okay? Then Peter, filled with what? Where did he get the boldness to speak from? And my dear friend, I'll share something with you tonight. The church needs to get back that we have the boldness to preach and to teach the truth of the gospel. And that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's where it comes from. Rulers and elders of the people, verse 8. If we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. Mm. So why do we do what we do? We as a church today, what are we more concerned about? Are we more concerned about the numbers that come in the door? Or are we more concerned about following the leading of the Holy Spirit? Verse 11, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, but there is no other name under heaven, no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which you must be saved. How did Peter do that? Peter and John, they've been, they've been called to task. The religious elite has put them in the center of them. And they begin to question them about their authority and what they do. And their absolute authority in what they did was based upon the very name of Jesus Christ himself. By what authority do we do what we do today? Under which direction do we do what we do today? Who does the church belong to today? 
certainly not us and all the best laid plans and all the all, all all of the best marketing that we can come up with and all of those things but i will say something to you tonight if the holy spirit is not a part of what we're doing then it is all for naught all of it when's the last time the church got together and just we're going to pray until until God moves huh well bless God I don't need to pray more than about 15 minutes really go study go look at the great movings of God you know let me tell you where they began began with people on their knees for 15 minutes no so how do we get to where we are today in the, in the church where are we today are we impacting the communities that we live in what drives us who do we follow who are we waiting on and I want to close with a simple question and, and I will say this to you okay the scripture is very clear that Satan is the author of confusion not God Satan is the author of confusion not God so when we consider ourselves and who we are things ought to be done decently and in order which is true but let me ask you a simple question just something for you to think about what if we met together here on a Sunday morning and under the leadership of the pastor of the church there's just silence and prayed and we prayed till we thought we were done and as people finished we just began to exit the building what do you think would happen huh probably more than likely here's something right off the bat that would happen your pastor is a lunatic we didn't have any singing okay well there was no preaching okay what did they do in the upper room go study some of the good some of the great movings go go study some of the great revivals go go study even the welsh revivals You know how they started? In a room with just a couple of people, a small group that wouldn't, wouldn't finish until God let them go.
from my heart to you tonight and all those who are listening online. My heart aches today, and I'll just say this. My heart aches today to see a mighty moving of God once again. And I honestly believe the reason we don't have it is because of us. It's not because of God. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the church. And Father, it's the avenue by which you have chosen to reach people. And Father, I pray tonight that we would see Father, I pray that we would be moved to the point that we understand outside of a great moving of the Holy Spirit in our own lives individually, we can't expect any more. And so, Father, I pray as we leave this building tonight, that the Holy Spirit would speak to each of our hearts and each of our lives and allow us just to catch a glimpse of who you are. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. And you're dismissed.